Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Town City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 608. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. And apologising for this. Oh, man, flew again, man. Let's start this kind of, you know, this autumnal order going into winter time. And I get hit all the time there. So, oh, and I've been playing on it, you know. Oh, melly, melly, So, I sound absolutely terrible. But still, I'm fighting on there, fighting on. Now, I've got something to tell you about, because I think I've reached the zenith of my technical abilities with computer. You know, when you, you get to that age and you think, enough's enough. Enough's enough. I'll, I'll get the kids to do it for us. I think I'm there now, and I'll tell you about that at the end of the show as well. So, I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. The main fiction is Different Paths by Henry McFarland. Yes, and it's narrated by Matt Dovey. So we have that coming in today's show. I do hope you'll stick around and enjoy it. Now, this is an original Starship Sova, so that's a big, big up there to Gary and Jeremy. Big thank you to that, they're pulling this one out. So Henry McFarlane is an economist and part-time short story writer who lives near Washington, D.C. He has published stories in Andromeda Spaceways and Everyday Fiction, and you can find him on Facebook. And his Twitter handle, there's a little link there to Henry's Twitter handle. Now, this story is narrated by Matt Dovey. Matt Dovey is a very tall and very English and most likely drinking a cup of tea right now. He has a scar on his arm that he can't remember getting, but a terrible darkness floods his mind when he considers it. He now lives in a quiet market town in rural England with his wife and three children. And despite being a writer... He still hasn't found the right words to properly express the delight and the joy he finds in this wonderful arrangement. His surname rhymes with Dobie, but any other similarities to the dwarf are purely coincidental. He is the Golden Pen winner for the Writers of the Future, Volume 32, which was in 2016, and was shortlisted for the James White Award in 2016 as well. He has fiction out or forthcoming all over the place, and you can keep up with him at mattdovey.com or on Facebook and Twitter. And again, links are there. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... Different Paths Written by Henry McFarland Narrated by Matt Dovey Tomorrow, they would send a message faster than the speed of light. Or not. If they succeeded, 
they would make history. If they failed, it wouldn't be because of George Conrad's equipment. He left when everyone else did, but returned to test each circuit in the prototype of the QE terminal. He got more done when working late. People didn't ask questions, phones didn't ring, email alerts didn't sound. George was almost finished when he heard the chime for an incoming message. On the prototype screen was, Hello Washington, instant is for real now. That was impossible, no message had been sent. More disturbing was, Time of transmission, 15300.048912 GMT, June 7, 2035. Today was June 6. Someone must be pranking him. He looked around to see who was laughing at his expense, but the main lab was empty. Down the corridor, a light shined in the math analysis branch. George went in search of a practical joker. He found Sarah Williams, her back to the door, staring at a whiteboard she had filled with equations. Sarah had recently joined the project as head of math analysis, and George had seen her at a few senior staff meetings. For a new staffer, she wasn't shy about giving opinions, but her reasoning was always solid, and she never left Bruce feelings. He decided not to bother her. She was busy, and not a prankster. But before he could walk away, she turned around and saw him. Hi! Getting ready for the big test tomorrow? A small smile crinkled the mocker skin around her eyes. She looked very pretty, even in an old grey sweatsuit. George walked over to her. She must have just finished writing the equations. He could smell the ink from her marker. Uh, I, I was giving the prototype a final check, and I found something I can't understand. Sarah nodded. Can I take a look? I'd appreciate that. Back in the main lab, Sarah stared at the screen for a minute. Do you know the first message they're planning to send tomorrow? No, they're keeping it secret. That could be it, though. When reverse wave theory was developed, the possibility of messages propagating backwards in time was dismissed. Thermodynamic factors should stop it. Maybe that was a mistake. Maybe. How was the gain set on the state detector? Uh, just over the anticipated range. Can you turn it up, Tom? He input a new setting, and a second message appeared. Dan, we have a lot of happy people here, sending first test string. Then came a long series of alphanumeric characters, and the date 15.3205.97125 GMT, June 7, 2035. Sarah's eyes widened. Uh, it sure looks like we're getting tomorrow's messages today. Any chance these were recorded in a previous test and stayed somewhere in memory? Not likely. Why didn't we see these before? Probably because previous tests didn't have the state detector set so high. So they wouldn't have seen these messages in the tests of the Mumbai terminal either? No, we used the same test parameters there. Should we report this? I'd hold off. Messages going back in time is a strong claim. We need strong proof. Let's wait to see what messages are sent tomorrow, then check if they match these. Next morning, the staff gathered for the test. Kim Baxter, the project manager, sat at the main console. She deliberately moved her chair back a bit so the others could see the screen. Everyone watched anxiously for a message from Dan Taylor, the chief of the testing branch, who was in Mumbai at a second QE terminal. At 9.30, the screen lit up. Hello, Washington. Instant is for real now. 
Time of transmission. 15.30.00.048912 GMT. June 7, 2035. Above the screen, the console showed time of receipt. Messages travelling the 8,000 miles from Mumbai at the speed of light would arrive approximately 0.004 seconds after transmission. This time of receipt was 15.30.00.048912 GMT. The exact time of transmission. The people around him cheered, but George just stared at the screen open-mouthed. Kim bent over the console and replied with the exact words he'd seen yesterday. They hadn't just broken the light barrier, they created a way to see the future. Sarah came over to George and whispered in his ear, Let's wait until after the celebration, then decide what to do. An impromptu party started. Kim opened some champagne and people whooped and hollered as the corks hit the ceiling. In the jubilation, George and Sarah were quiet and subdued. Kim smiled as she poured their champagne. Hasn't sunk in on you two yet, has it? George forced a grin. Just tired from all those late nights. They paid off, though. Sure did. She moved to the centre of the room. Okay, everybody, great job, all of you. Take the rest of the day off. George and Sarah went to the sandwich shop next door and took a table in the back. Before taking a bite of his tuna sandwich, George said, I I keep thinking about needing strong proof. Kim would have planned the first message and likely saved it electronically. There may have been some way for it to have been transmitted to the QE terminal. The initial message, maybe, but the response too? It didn't sound planned. Sarah took a bite of her salad. George was it odd that she ate it without dressing. True. But before we say anything, let's see if we can get tomorrow's messages. Might as well. No one's around now anyway. Sarah's brow furrowed. Have you thought of the implications, if it's true? Saturday they're racing at Bowie. Maybe we should put the results in a message we send on Sunday and read on Friday. Sarah laughed. Unfortunately, only Kim and Dan can send messages now, and they wouldn't approve. Seriously, being able to predict the future gives someone an incredible amount of power, more than anyone could be trusted with. They may have to shut the project down. George didn't want his years working on the project to be wasted. We need more time to think that through. But attempts to suppress a troubling technology often fail. A better approach might be to warn people to be careful what they send. Encrypt some things, not send others. Before we talk about implications, let's gather more evidence. Project Protocol called for sending additional messages each morning to check equipment reliability. Back at the empty lab, George turned on the QE terminal and found tomorrow's message. Mumbai QE transmitter second test. How are things in Washington, Kim? 19002.147896 GMT, June 8, 2035. Could be better, Dan. As soon as I got to the office, I spilled coffee all over myself. But your message came through no problem. Standing by for test strings. 19010.245789 GMT, June 8, 2035. Sarah put her hand to her chin. You know, we could test the grandfather paradox. You mean a time traveller can't go back and strangle his grandfather in his crib because then the traveller would never be born, which means he couldn't strangle his grandfather, which means he would be born. So he could strangle his grandfather, but that paradox never seems to be good for anything but giving me a headache. But now it matters. It says that if one of these messages tells of us a future event, we can't stop the event. 
because if it didn't happen, the message wouldn't mention it. That means a lot for how the technology could be used. The first thing Kim does at the office is get a cup of coffee. If I break the office coffee machine, she can't get coffee, and she can't spill it on herself. Okay. For a fair test, we shouldn't say anything to anyone until after the time of those messages. Can you break the coffee machine? Sure, I'm an engineer. It may make me unpopular, but everyone will be so surprised by our results, they'll forget a no-coffee morning. Next day, George, Sarah and the other branch chiefs convene for a 9am meeting. Kim came in looking irritated and wearing a white blouse with a large brown stain in the middle. Before anybody asks, the coffee machine is broken. I went next door to get a cup and as I was going in the building door, someone coming the other way ran into me. We need to fix that machine soon. George tried to sound innocent. I'll look at it after the meeting. He was glad Sarah kept a straight face. That afternoon, they told Kim about the messages and the test of the grandfather paradox. Kim's nostrils flared and her eyes narrowed. How could you not have told me about the messages? George had practised his answer, but he still felt uncomfortable giving it. Uh, we, we needed to be sure. Strong claims require... Yes, I know that old cliché. Did it ever occur to you that someone else might help you test the claims? You two are part of a team. Don't go experimenting on your own. There was silence for a minute. Finally, Kim said, Okay, we have to think what this means for our research protocols. But first let's get on the QE terminal and see what other advanced messages there are. They had the lab with the QE terminal to themselves. George started it and increased the gain on the state detector. Tomorrow's first message appeared on the screen. When they read it, all three of them froze. Dan, sorry to hear about your son. Are you coming back today? Heightening the gain brought the rest of the exchange. Earliest flight I could get leaves this afternoon. The office head here can sub for me, if that's okay. Of course. What happened? A car hit him on his way home from school. He'll be okay. Broken arm, though. It'll heal, but he's upset about missing sports this year. George turned to Kim and Sarah. School lets out at three, and it's a little after two. We can try to stop that. He called Dan's house, but got no answer. Sarah put her hand on his arm. Calling the school would be useless, that story sounds too crazy. But maybe if we went there, do we know what school he goes to? Yeah, my car's downstairs. It can take us there. Kim smiled slightly. You two get to test the grandfather paradox again. I hope the results are better. They got in the car, and George gave the destination. Grant Middle School in Potomac. Car's navigation system had bad news. Due to heavy traffic conditions, estimated arrival time is between 2.50pm and 3.10pm. It's an emergency! Make it faster! The mechanical voice stayed calm and methodical, which made it even more annoying. This vehicle has no emergency override authorization and must obey all traffic laws. Should I call emergency services? No! The car progressed slowly through downtown. When it finally reached a main road, they found a solid line of slowly moving vehicles. Sarah peered out the windshield. It's backed up as far as I can see. Damn traffic! Maybe if the congestion clears, we can still make it? How do you know what school to go to? Dan's always talking about his kids. I'm the new girl, still getting to know people. She paused. 
I may not have much chance to do that if they end the project. Because people find out it's a crystal ball, one that works. What will they do then? I still think they'll cut it off. Too dangerous. George looked at the long line of cars with their brake lights glowing red. Uh, That may depend on whether we can really change the future. If we can, that would make the project more dangerous. But more useful. The car rolled forward a few feet, then stopped again. They were behind an old gasoline-powered van, and the smell of its exhaust filled their car. Sarah leaned back in her seat. Maybe limit the system to only some of the uses we planned for it, like communicating with deep space probes without a time delay. Knowing those future messages wouldn't be a problem. Maybe even a benefit. But the military wouldn't use it for Earth-orbiting satellites. The benefits aren't that great, and the risk of leaking advanced information is too high, even with great encryption. Another few feet forward, another stop. George yelled, Come on! That didn't help. Weather satellites, they'd be better. You mean have them send pictures of where the storm is that we could see a few days in advance? Exactly. The ideal way to forecast the weather. Sarah's voice lightened. That's a great idea. We couldn't change the weather, but we could prepare for it. The car made a little more progress, and George could see the roadwork that caused the jam. He asked the car when they get there. Due to unexpected delays, the time of arrival has been revised. It is now between 3.05pm and 3.15pm. Sarah squirmed in her seat. Try anyway, maybe the boy will hang around school a little. He didn't. When they were three blocks from the school, they saw a couple of police cars and an ambulance. A crumpled bike lay on the curb. A young boy sat on the pavement while a paramedic looked at his arm. Sarah sighed. The grandfather paradox wins again. By the time they got back, Kim Baxter was the only one still around. After they described their failure, she suggested they see how far in advance they could read messages. George turned up the gain on the QE terminal until an additional message appeared. Sarah bent over to read it, then gasped and took a couple of steps back. Is that a joke? Tell me it's a joke. Joke? No. What do you mean? Sarah gave him a wild look and ran down the hall. The building's main door slammed behind her. The screen showed why. On Monday morning, Kim would write, I have terrible news. Sarah Williams died last night. Kim heard the commotion and ran into the lab. She read the message and brought her hand to her mouth. But she's 31 and healthy. How? George sat slumped in his chair. After a long pause, he and Kim agreed to put off telling the rest of the team about the advanced messages until after Monday morning. That night and all the next morning, George dialed Sarah's number over and over. No answer. Around four, she came into his office. She wore the same clothes as yesterday, and her eyes were bloodshot. Who else knows? Just me and Kim. Thanks for keeping it secret. I stopped reading after I died. Did the message say how? No, they both did talk about how gifted you were, how smart, how nice. Swell, I get a great obituary. Maybe we can stop it. It doesn't have to happen. It does. The logic of the grandfather paradox is inescapable. And when we tried to change the future, we failed. Tried to warn me off from everything, and the walls will fall on me. 
I have only three days to live. I'm going to use them, she sighed. When Galois knew he'd die the next day, he spent the night proving seminal theorems. I can't think of any great proofs I can do in three days, so instead, I'm going to have a good time. Pandem people get to eat hearty meals. My friend the foodie says the three best restaurants in Washington are Namaste, Cantina Sforza and Mazandu Campagna. I have three nights and I plan to have dinner at all three. Want to come? My treat. I've got no reason to save money, do I? They got an early reservation at Namaste. George put on a tie for the occasion. Sarah wore a red sheath dress. George's breath caught in his throat when he saw her lithe figure. As she ate, he tried not to stare at her large brown eyes, smooth mocker skin and thick, dark hair. Sarah savoured each bite of her shrimp balchow. She would be sure she enjoyed this meal. Of course she wanted dessert. Dayton toffee pudding with a mixed berry coolie, please. After the last bite, she asked George if he wanted to go dancing. Neither of them knew of any dance clubs, but George found one with good reviews on the internet. Sarah danced by shuffling her feet back and forth while moving her shoulders up and down to a beat much faster than any in the music. Her awkwardness made George feel less uncomfortable as he moved his body in ways he had never gotten used to. After a few songs, he stopped being so self-conscious, and their dancing became as enjoyable as it was graceless. As the club was closing, Sarah stood close to George. Her lilac perfume filled the air. She gave him a sly smile. Your place or mine? You mean... Sex, George, if you're interested. George felt his face getting warm. Yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, sure. Uh, uh, Sarah giggled a bit. George, you're blushing. He suggested his place. He lived nearby. Undressing each other was delightful, making love even more so. Afterwards, she lay next to him with her head on his chest and the length of her body pressed to his side. Never did that on a first date before. But time's short, and I want to have as much fun as possible this weekend. Her voice sounded far away and sleepy. I'd like to be part of that, as much as I can. Are you sure? No other commitments? Not in a relationship. No plans for the weekend. But if you have other people you want to be with, I, I don't want to intrude. You won't intrude. I don't have a lot of friends around. Just moved here. Besides, I'd feel funny around someone who didn't know. And you do. Family? Mum is the only one left. Dad died years ago. Mum's in a home for people with Alzheimer's. If I visited her, what could I say? The disease makes her so fearful. I can't add to that. Besides, the last few visits... She didn't know who I was. I didn't want to go through that again. For a moment they lay together in silence. Then Sarah asked, George, do you believe in God? I guess. My parents used to take me to church, but I don't go any more. I used to believe. The lack of proof never bothered me. I accepted a spiritual version of the incompleteness theorem, not all truths can be proven. But so much seems to happen with no reason. I'll die tomorrow. Why? We can't understand some things. It's like God does play dice with the universe. I can't love a God like that. He put his arms around her trembling body 
and held her tight. After a while, the warmth of their nakedness kindled a desire that drove away fear. They made love, then slept until morning. For breakfast, George brewed coffee and put out cereal and juice. Sarah laughed and asked for ice cream. George got her a dish of strawberry, the only flavour he had, and she stared out the window as she ate it. So many little things I wanted to do and never did, not just having ice cream for breakfast. When I was a girl, I read Lindbergh's biography twice. His plane hangs in the museum downtown, and I've never seen it. Then, let's see it today. They went to the Air and Space Museum to gaze in awe at the tiny plane that had crossed the Atlantic. Later, they strolled down the mall to see the museums of African and Asian art, another first. For lunch, they sat on a bench and ate hot dogs and more ice cream. The day was sunny and mild, with a light breeze. Children were going around on a carousel. Its jaunty music filled the air. Sarah wiped a little mustard from George's chin. Funny, the dogs were as satisfying as last night's meal. Sure, a lot of it is the surroundings, the beautiful day, the music. And for me, he thought, the company. Sarah leaned back inside. A lot of the art in those museums was religious, done for the love of some god. True, people all over the world believe in god, and maybe you shouldn't reject that now. Terrible things happen, but a belief in a loving god may make them easier to bear. Sarah pointed to a little girl who sat on a grass near the carousel, having a tea party with her doll. She dipped a little cup in the puddle next to her, then held it to the doll's lips. Next, she rubbed some small stones on the doll's lips and told her to take a bite. After a few minutes, she picked the doll up by the hair and ran off, dragging it through the puddle. I'm just afraid God loves us the way that girl loves her doll. After a long, silent moment, Sarah jumped up from the bench. Enough of that. Let's ride the carousel. She rode a white horse, he rode a brown one, and they laughed as they went up and down, around and around. The rest of the day was spent in pure pleasure. After the paella del mar and olive oil cake at Cantina Sforza, they went dancing again. As they left the club, George reflected that Sarah had gotten to be a better dancer in just one night, and for a moment his world darkened because she had so little time left for dancing. Soon, though, their love-making drove away his thoughts of tomorrow. Afterwards, they clung tightly to each other. Sarah nuzzled his ear. George, thanks for making this such a wonderful day. You made it wonderful for me. Are you up for spending more time with me? Tomorrow, whatever you want to do. You're so sweet. She kissed him lightly on the cheek. As she drifted off to sleep, George realised that, even though he had known her for only a few days, losing her would leave a void in his life, one he could never fill. About 3am, George woke and reached out to Sarah, but she wasn't there. He found her on his sofa, madly scribbling on a legal pad. She didn't look up. Give me a little time, George. I'll be back soon. At breakfast, he asked what she had been doing. I can't compete with Galois, but I did accomplish something, I think. Do you know the Novikov self-consistency principle? George shook his head, and she went on. It's the view that any event that would change the past must have zero probability. He proposed it as a way of avoiding time paradoxes, but it wasn't accepted. People found it ad hoc. Our experiments have shown me a way to have it flow naturally from the Copenhagen interpretation. 
A quantum system exists as a superposition of states, each with a different probability, like Schrodinger's cat that may be either alive or dead. Observation makes a system stop becoming a superposition of states. The probability of every state but one falls to zero. The collapse of probabilities generates a field that allows time reversal consistent with thermodynamics. Okay, if I copy the equations into a file on your pad and send them to Kim? Sarah needed only a few minutes to copy her work and send it to Kim. She'll get it Monday morning. If it holds up, at least I've contributed something. And I didn't spend the last few days of my life only thinking of me. You had the right to do that, given everything. Maybe. Now I'd really like to see the Shenandoah Valley. I've never been, and Maison de Campagne is on the way back. Sunday was sunny and mild, perfect for hiking through the valley. At the end of the day, they walked up a gently sloping hill covered with wildflowers, then sat on the grass to watch the sunset. A soft breeze blew the flowers' perfumes to them. As the sun dropped below the horizon, Sarah put her head in his lap. Do you think it was selfish, not paying a last visit to my mum? He put his arm around her. You did the right thing. You only would have frightened her. He almost said, after you're gone, but choked on the words. Tomorrow, I'll talk to the staff at the home and ask them how to handle the news. She leaned her head on his shoulder. Mm, it might be best not to tell her anything, but the staff are good. They'll know what to do. And thank you. The sky filled with beautiful reds and yellows that slowly darkened. Sarah grabbed his hand. Come on, I have to get one more great meal. She dined splendidly. Quenelle de Brochet as an appetizer, followed by marinated duck breast and a blackcurrant sauce and an apple tart. But when she finished, a look came over her, and George knew that no matter how much she fought it, she was afraid. He wanted to distract her. Great meal, wasn't it? Yes. Should you drive with me? A car accident may be what kills me, and I don't want to endanger you. He reached across the table and took her hand. You won't. Kim's message says I called the office Monday morning. I'm going to take the day off. She asked if we were close. Sarah smiled. I guess we are. And we wouldn't be, except for the messages. That's one good thing that came from them. One thing changed, paradox or no. He thought about that for a long moment. More than one thing. The first time we tried, we didn't stop Kim from spilling coffee, but we changed how it happened. If I hadn't broken the coffee machine, she wouldn't have left the building for coffee and run into someone on her way back. We can change the future. Sarah considered that for a moment. With observation, the possibilities collapse. The future outcome is fixed, but we only observe the outcome, not the path to getting there. More than one path remains possible. She paused. That just means we couldn't save my life, but we could change how I'd die. George jumped up. No, that means I can save you. We know the message was sent. We don't know it was right. You mean... We have Kim send the message even though it isn't true. George paused for a moment and then very slowly said, No, Kim wouldn't have sent the message if she didn't believe it. The message shows Kim Baxter thinks you're dead. If we hadn't read the messages, 
What would you have been doing tonight? Had a quick dinner in my apartment, read a little, gone to bed. It's a work night. And sometime during the night, some accident or something would happen that would kill you. I'm going to go to your apartment, wait for it to happen, and then tell Kim you died. She gave him a long look. Do you have to lie to Kim? We only have one try to get to a better path. This is your best chance. George had the car go to his place to drop off Sarah, and then bring him to her apartment. He sat in the car, staring up at her window. The night was warm, but he shivered. He texted Sarah and got back, Not dead yet. Time went by slower than a glacier. Worries rose faster than a flood. Was he in the wrong place? He texted again. Are you in danger? TV may bore me to death. Calm and humorous, even now. More reasons why he couldn't lose her. Would this work? Telling Kim that Sarah was dead, lying to her, would be hard, and it would have to be convincing. Could he do that? At 3am, light appeared in the windows below Sarah's. Orange, ragged light. Fire. Firefighters doused the blaze, then carried a body covered by a sheet from the building. If they told Kim Sarah was dead, she'd believe them. George sprang from his car and ran to them. Sarah! My God, it's Sarah! A paramedic came forward. Calm down, please, sir. Do you know this woman? He gently pulled the sheet back to reveal the deceased. George glanced at the corpse. Yes, it's, it's Sarah. Sarah Williams. Sir, this is very important, and I need you to take a longer look. Are you very certain who this is? George forced himself to take a long look at the body. Yes, I I work with her. Her name is Sarah Williams, I'm sure. A cop asked him about family notifications, and he explained about Sarah's mother and said he would talk to the staff where she lived. The cop thanked him and readily agreed to call Sarah's office to give them the news. Kim Baxter got the call as soon as she arrived at work. In sorrow, she called the staff together to tell them of the tragedy, and in sorrow, she sent the message. She felt a different emotion the next day. Her face was red and a little vein throbbed at her temple. Why did you lie to me? George stammered a bit. The the message had to be sent. Ever think of telling me what was going on and asking me to send it? They explained why they'd been afraid to try that. At the end, Sarah said, I really thought I was going to die. Kim's face softened. And I'm glad you didn't. We don't know how and when we can use the advanced messages to shape the future, how much we're bound by the grandfather paradox. I'm going to form a task force to develop ways to test that. Dan Taylor will head it, and I want you two to work with him. With him. No more going out on your own. Meanwhile, no one sends anything on the QE transmitter but testings of random numbers. No more chit-chat. Now get out of here and remember you're on a team. We tell the truth. As they turned to go, Kim said, Oh, Sarah, I'm having more checking done, but it looks like what you sent Sunday holds up. Congratulations. Back in his office, George got a call from a detective who was even angrier than Kim. Do you realise because of what you did we were a day late notifying Jane Chang's family? George tried to stammer out a response, but the detective just kept on yelling. 
Jane Chang was a foot shorter than Sarah, 40 years old and a different race. How could you possibly confuse them? I, uh, I, I mean, I, I was, uh, confused. You were just plain stupid. From now on, be more careful. Sarah looked in his office door near the end of the day. He invited her to sit in one of the chairs in front of his desk, then sat next to her and told her about the call. She smiled in sympathy. You took a lot of grief for me today. Uh, that's okay. Things turned out well. Yeah, I'm not dead. You're not arrested. We're not fired and the task force should be interesting. We'll be working on some big questions. Only problems now. I blew my entertainment budget for the next three months and the fire wrecked my apartment. Community services said they'd find me something short term. He paused to gather courage. You could stay with me if, if you want. Her brown eyes locked onto his. I'd like that. I'd like that a lot. But you should know, having been that sure I'd die soon, it's changed me, and I don't know how. I have to rethink a lot of things. He reached over and stroked her hand. Can we do that together? Yes, together. And there you go, big huge thank you to Henry there. Henry, sir, thank you very much. Sorry I kind of introducing you with this kind of... This terrible, terrible Madden flu, but you know, I hope you, you, people listen to the story and just enjoy it. Amazing. Thank you so much. And Matt, lovely, sir. Lovely indeedy. Thank you. So that's the, the kind of the main fiction out of the way. I will tell you why I am. I'm, I'm, to get to that point there where you think, oh, because I always, I'm not saying I was technical savvy. Do you know what I mean? But I liked, you know what I mean? If there was a problem in the house, technical-wise, get Dad to kind of sort it out. You know, it was always that case. Now, coming to, like, build websites and all that nonsense, not, not nothing like that, that's a bit too advanced for us. But the reason why I started Starship Sova was I got the iPod years ago. My wife got us the iPod, the original iPod when it came out, and I realised you could do podcasts on it, and it was just fantastic. Then I kind of upgraded, you know, the whole process of kind of, being in the, the Apple there, the, the Apple iPhones come out and I was there right up. But then I switched allegiance. Now, I've always recorded shows on an iMac. And actually, I've used Adobe to to record it. But I've always recorded on an iMac. But I left the, the folds with Apple and Apple phones when the OnePlus One came out, which I'm thinking is round about seven, seven, eight years ago. So I left, and I've I've been a kind of a Google fanboy for a, a long time, and I love Google to be honest. But, <laughs> but there's a but. I've swapped back, and I've got myself the the new iPhone, and man, I'm just all over the shop with it. Yeah, I've got it set up, but all this because I left, and then my wife got an iPhone. My wife's using the iCloud and all, and it's just like. Oh, it's just so complicated. It's quite honest. I don't know if I'm... If anybody can help us, it's starshipsover at gmail.com. I'm, we're using the same iCloud account. If I take and put my good wife on a different iCloud or an ID, Apple ID, does she lose all our photographs? You know, because over the years she's got photographs. We all keep them in the Google Cloud, so they're always safe in there and the way the phones are set up. They're going to Google anyways, but it's just... This Apple thing, and 
find my phone location, it's coming up as like my phone's coming up as Melanie's phone, and oh, I just, I just a naughty mess. And I'm at that stage now where it's like, you know what? Nah, I might even kind of book an appointment to go and see. That's you know what I mean. That's the kind of the the worst thing to go to the Apple Genius Shop or whatever it is and tail between my legs, you know, and come back to the dark side. Say, can you help us out? Yeah, can you help us? I'm a bit lost. So. The phone itself, you know, fantastic. You know, the camera, you know, that's why I kind of swapped over for the camera, to be honest, is just staggering. And, you know, I've got the um, the pro version and it's just unreal, to be honest, absolutely unreal. And yes, fantastic. But the the ins and outs of it, it's got as bad, I don't know, like say if I'm batting a ball in here, do you know what I mean? And if I deleted something and it deleted the, the, the Mrs. Mrs. Starship's, whole, you know, history of photos on her iCloud thing. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. You know. Anyway, until next week, just like I say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Get out there by and by I'll get out there by